0: If Matthew presents Jesus as King of the Jews and Mark portrays him as Jehovah's servant, Luke portrays Jesus as the perfect God-man, with an emphasis on his humanity. Behold the man is Luke's main thrust, which makes sense because he writes to the Greeks, who mused much about humanity and embraced the gods and goddesses of Greek mythology. In Luke's Gospel, we see God manifest in the flesh primarily a Savior who identifies fully with our humanity and yet soars sinlessly and excellently above it. In all, Luke wants us to know that Jesus is the perfect God-man. He is man enough to feel our pain and God enough to do something about it. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good.
1: Hello and welcome to this Wednesday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, Lead Pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis, thanks for tuning in. Well, one of the things that makes the Gospel of Luke different from the rest of the Gospels is that Luke spent much of his time talking about Christ's humanity. Our Lord was and is fully God, but he was also fully human a point Luke emphasizes throughout his Gospel account. Today, Ron takes us to the Gospel of Luke as he continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Stay with us or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. With this message, Luke, Behold the Man. Here's Dr. Ron Jones. Well,
0: who is the greatest Man who ever lived, don't you love questions like that? It's one of those questions that, quite frankly, could spur a long debate among scientists and humanists, uh, business leaders, political leaders, and even religious leaders. You would expect a pastor like me to answer the question um, by saying that, well, it's a little, little bit more enthusiasm and louder than that. The greatest man who ever lived is? Okay, I mean, you'd expect that from a pastor, right? But arguably, Jesus of Nazareth is the greatest person who ever walked this planet. And I say this emphatically, even though uh, Jesus said that it was John the Baptist who was the greatest man born among women, uh, when the disciples had that conversation. But I would say that Jesus is the greatest, not only because of the way he served humanity, And and Mark presents Jesus that way, remember? Mark Mark presents him as Jehovah's servant. He came to serve. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, we'll learn from Luke, but in in Mark he came uh, to serve, not to be served, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is the greatest not only because of the way he served humanity, but also because he is the perfect God-man. He's the perfect God man, something that even the greatest humanist must concede. Jesus was not God alone, nor was he man alone. He was fully human and fully divine in a unified existence. Now, Christian theologians refer to this as the incarnation, a theological term that we hear often at Christmas time, the incarnation. Uh, along the same lines is a, is a term that's used in Christian. Christian theology called the hypostatic union to describe the idea that he's fully God and fully man at the same time. Hypostatic union sounds like a fancy term in English, but it's really quite simple, but uh, very profound. The word hypostatic means personal. Thus, the hypostatic union is the personal union of Jesus' two natures. David Mathis writes, the hypostatic union is the joining mysterious though it be, of the divine and the human in the one person of Jesus. This is important Christian theology to nail down. And, and, and it goes to the whole question of who is the greatest person who has ever walked planet Earth? It's the God-man, Jesus Christ. If now, if Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews, which he does, and Mark portrays him as Jehovah's servant, Luke puts Jesus' humanity on display. He says, Behold the man. Behold the man. Fix your gaze upon him. Don't blink. Don't turn away. Glance at him and gaze at him until you understand who he really is. Uh, Behold the man is Luke's main thrust, which makes sense because he writes to the Greeks. That's his main audience. His larger audience is the Gentiles. Matthew wrote to the Jews and, and uh, uh, Mark to uh, his own audience. Uh, Luke writes to the Greeks. And um, uh, the Greeks were uh, those who, who talked much about humanity and even made uh, gods out of mere mortals. You, you think of how they were immersed in Greek mythology. And in one way, Luke is trying to differentiate Jesus, the God-man, from the gods of mythological Greece. Uh, In Luke's gospel, we see God manifest in the flesh primarily, a Savior who identifies fully with humanity and yet soars sinlessly and excellently above our humanity. This is Jesus who is the God-man. Luke says, behold him. Take a look at him. You might have taken a first look at Jesus and passed on by. Now is your opportunity to take a second look, a deeper look, a more sustained look, especially during this time of the year. Now, before we get into Luke's gospel, let's, let's get to know Luke a little bit. Uh, he's known as Luke, the beloved physician. He's a doctor, uh, he, he's a medical doctor. He was also the Apostle Paul's close friend, his ministry colleague, his traveling companion. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we discover that uh, Luke was with the Apostle Paul in Rome when the Emperor Nero um, ordered the beheading of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Luke, his friend, was there with him. The strongest biblical evidence supports the idea that Luke was a Gentile, uh, making him the only non-Jewish contributor to the New Testament. Although some people argue that he was a Hellenistic Jew, that he was a Greek Jew. His skills in the Greek language are impressive, Um, making Luke's gospel, in my opinion, one of the most splendid literary presentations of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. We don't get a sense of that in our English translation as much, but if you know the original Koine Greek language, you would read it in that language and and know that that Luke is a master of the Greek language there. He wrote a two-volume anthology of the life of Christ and the early church. It's known as Luke-Acts, and um, in the introductions to both of those books, Luke chapter 1 and Acts chapter 1, uh, Dr. Luke addresses his friend Theophilus, who was probably a Greek businessman who underwrote the cost of Luke's research to put together um, this documentation, uh, which you would expect of a careful scientist like Luke. He, He compiled very carefully the life and ministry of Jesus Christ from the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and ministry. Luke, again, like Mark, was not one of the original 12 disciples, but he was very closely associated with them. And he went to the eyewitnesses uh, with the careful compilation of a scientist and and put together uh, these documents. No doubt Luke and Theophilus shared Paul's burden for gospel evangelism, To the Gentiles and particularly to the Greeks. And they both desire this historically reliable documentation of the Christian faith. And that's what we have in the Gospel according to Luke and the uh, volume two uh, called the Book of Acts, which we'll get to in a matter of time. Now, with that in mind, again, Luke says, Behold the man. Behold the man who is Jesus Christ, this God-man. And he, em- he places emphasis on the humanity of Jesus so that we know he wasn't just some you know, ethereal deity out there who could not identify with us. No, he presents the humanity of Jesus in a way that this God-man Well, we're fully convinced that he can identify with our pain, but uh, he's still in a category all to himself. Let's first behold his birth and his boyhood in the unique way that Luke presents it. He starts with the birth of Jesus, as Matthew does. However, Luke lingers longer on the nativity, and he has a different emphasis than Matthew does. They're coming at the same story, but from different angles. While Matthew starts with a genealogy that links Jesus prophetically to the Davidic throne, as you would expect of Matthew, who is writing to a Jewish audience, uh, Luke inserts the genealogy after Jesus' baptism, which we don't get to until chapter three. And that gives him time to place primary importance on the humanity of Jesus through the childhood narratives. And, And we really get a sense of the human side of the story of this God-man who was uh, born in Bethlehem. Another difference is that Matthew's genealogy goes back to Abraham. Again, something you would expect of Matthew, who writes to a Jewish audience. But uh, Luke's genealogy returns to Adam. It goes all the way back to the beginning, to the first man. And he links Jesus, the second Adam, which Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, refers to Jesus as the second Adam. Luke links Jesus, the second Adam, to the first John, we're going to find in his gospel, and John chapter one goes even beyond that further uh, to give uh, the eternal eternal, uh, aspect of Jesus' being, but we'll get there uh, next time. Luke provides a fuller understanding of the family relationships and those human relationships that intermingle between John the Baptist, his cousin, and Jesus himself. Uh, He intersperses their birth announcements and their ministry preparations. He includes a, uh, a wholesome story between um, their mothers, uh, Mary and Elizabeth, who were both pregnant at the time. You may remember the story when Mary arrives at her cousin's home and greets Elizabeth. Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, leaps in her womb. And uh, that's when Elizabeth graciously says to Mary, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then Luke makes one of several references to the presence of the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story. Uh, in relation to that uh, that scene, Luke records uh, birth and boyhood episodes from the life of Jesus not found in other gospels. For example, from Luke we learn about the historic decree made by Caesar Augustus that providentially moved Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem, putting them in what I call prophetic position. Because if you know anything about the Old Testament prophecies concerning Messiah, he would be born in Bethlehem. Uh, we know by this time in the story that Mary is carrying the Messiah, but they're in, they're in Nazareth. How are they going to get to Bethlehem? Luke tells us that God uh, uses providentially history and, and a decree from Caesar Augustus to move the couple from where they are into prophetic position where Jesus is born in Bethlehem.
1: Still ahead, the second half of Dr. Ron Jones Something Good Radio message, Luke, Behold the Man. Need prayer today? Visit somethinggoodradio.org to share your request and our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer. Use the Explore option right at the top of the homepage and then scroll down to the How Can We Pray For You icon. And while you're there, visit the Something Good digital library with more than 500 hours of video and audio teaching from Dr. Ron Jones. Search the streaming library by scripture or topic and find answers to your Bible questions and grow in your Christian faith. We don't know much about the early life of Christ, but there is one account in the Gospel of Luke that gives us some insight as to who he was as a young boy. We head there next in the rest of today's Something Good radio message, Luke, Behold the Man. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones.
0: In Luke, we hear the angels bring good news of great joy about Messiah's birth to the humble shepherds. Uh, We also sing four unique hymns in uh, Luke's presentation of the Christmas story, all of them related to Messiah's arrival, including Mary's Magnificat. We don't even get out of chapter one before we get Mary's Magnificat. What a magnificent section of Scripture. Gives us some insight into Mary's thoughts and just how, how profound of a thinker this young teenage woman was. She was, she was no lightweight. Mary's magnificent, And then you have Zacharias's uh, Benedictus. That's uh, John the Baptist's father. Uh, the angel's uh, glory in Excelsis in chapter 2. Simeon's canticle uh, after that in chapter 2 as well. Luke also invites us to attend the circumcision of the 8-year-old boy and to kind of peek in on the the presentation of him at the temple, which he says uh, happened in accordance with the Mosaic law. Uh, Furthermore, uh, and this is part of the humanness of the story that Luke brings, we feel the panic inside the hearts of two first-time parents. Remember the story? Now we're fast-forwarding years, um, almost a decade in young Jesus's life, Mary and Joseph and the family, they're, they're in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, and they celebrate it as a family. Uh, tens of thousands of people in the holy city, and, and as they make the journey back to Nazareth, they realize, uh, well, uh, Luke, Luke says, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Oops, they lost the Messiah. You've got to be kidding me. We feel the panic in our hearts, every one of us who lost our child on aisle three in Walmart. I mean, we, 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 can't, we can imagine how they're feeling. And, and we also uh, 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 retrace their steps. And, 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 and when they find their 12-year-old son, now Jesus is 12 years old, he's in the temple sitting among the teachers and astounding them with his wisdom. There's a humanness in the story that Luke presents, but... Um, he doesn't let us go long before we, we might forget that he was, he was the God-man, not just the man. Angels appear to Zacharias and Mary and the shepherds reminding us that the Christ child is both human and divine. And we wish for more insights into the boyhood of Jesus. I mean, scholars for 2,000 years have wanted a little bit more insight into those early years. Uh, Luke provides two summaries by saying in chapter 2 and verse 40, uh, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And then just 12 verses later, chapter 2 and verse 52 Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And then Luke concludes this first section with spirit-filled Jesus, now an adult, emerging victoriously from 40 days of fasting in the wilderness and being tempted by the devil. And it should remind us of Hebrews chapter four and verse 15 that says Jesus was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Tempted as we are as human beings. He went through that, yet without sin, because he was the perfect God man. Let's next behold his miracles and his parables, because that's where Luke goes next. The next major section of the book begins in chapter 4 and verse 14, goes all the way through chapter 9 and verse 50. And it begins with Jesus returning to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes to his hometown, to Nazareth, and he attends the synagogue, which was his custom. In this story that is unique to Luke's gospel, he picks up the scroll of Isaiah, and uh, in that uh, local synagogue, and that worship experience, he reads the scroll of Isaiah, these words, "'The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor.'" And then Luke tells us that after rolling up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and Jesus sits down and he begins applying this Old Testament messianic prophecy from Isaiah to himself. He says in chapter 4 and verse 22 Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, for those who say that Jesus never claimed to be God and never claimed to be Messiah, They haven't read Luke, because that's exactly what he did. Luke provides positive proof that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, claimed to be God in the flesh. And then he goes on in that setting to refer to the ministry of Elijah the prophet to Nahum, Nahum in the Syrian. And uh, he seems to be suggesting to his uh, hometown family and friends that Messiah was not theirs alone. That Messiah was sent, yes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek, also to the Gentile world. And this offends the ears of his family and friends, and they ran Jesus out of town to the edge of a cliff, Luke tells us. And before they throw him down the cliff, well, I love this scene, the miracle man walks through their midst untouched. Again, Luke does it, he's saying, behold the man, but he tosses in scenes like this to remind us he is the God-man. He is the God-man. And then Luke puts the Son of Man's compassionate humanity on display, recording 16 miracles performed by Jesus, who is never too busy to care for people's real human needs. Uh, Luke emphasizes Jesus' ability to touch humanity even through his parables. Now, if you take all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can compile 38 parables that Jesus told and the Gospel writers tell us probably many more, but what we have in the Gospels are 38 parables. Luke records 20 of them, and only all but two, rather, of the 20 parables that Luke records begin with uh, words like, There was a certain man. Uh, Jesus is humanizing his stories, and Luke draws from those. Matthew, on the other hand, emphasizes the kingdom of heaven, Uh, with parables as well that begin, the kingdom of heaven is like. So even in the selection of parables that Luke uh, records for us, he's he's presenting a Jesus who's very much in touch with his own humanity and those around him. Another way Luke highlights Jesus' human sympathies is by featuring the prominent place women held in his ministry. Don't ever say that Christianity puts women down. No, just the opposite. Even at a time when women didn't have Um, Much in terms of rights, you have uh, the gospel writers, because this is the way it happened, putting women in a prominent position in Jesus' ministry. Luke mentions Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, Anna the prophetess, Martha and Mary are in the the gospel. Nameless women with infirmities that Jesus healed are uh, mentioned multiple times. And of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus. In addition to that, in chapter eight, beginning in verse one, Luke writes this. Soon after Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chuza, Herod's household manager. And Susanna, and many others, now listen to this, who provided for them out of their means. Uh, this group of women that had a prominent place in Jesus' ministry reached into their pockets and provided financially for the ministry. And Luke says, way to go. He, he gives them you know, editorial space in, in the book here. And then along the way, Jesus foretells his death and his resurrection twice. I, I love the fact that Jesus predicted his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And all of that is followed by the first time There are two times in Luke's gospel, but the first time that Jesus rebuked his disciples for a conversation they had about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Are you kidding me? Luke says, behold, the man, the man, the God-man who is Jesus Christ.
1: Jesus spent His entire earthly ministry serving the needs of others, healing them, feeding them, teaching them, but He never lost sight of His ultimate purpose, to go to Jerusalem to be tortured and killed in order to pay for our sin, and ultimately to rise from the grave to demonstrate His victory over sin and death. These two events, the crucifixion and the resurrection, are the linchpins of our faith and the reasons why the gospel of Jesus Christ is such good news. Well, as you may know, Something Good Radio exists only through the faithful prayer and financial support of friends like you. People are coming to faith in Christ through our media ministry and your donations are a big reason why. When you donate this month, Ron will say thank you by giving you his new ebook that goes along with his series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. The sixth of eight ebooks in the series is based on the four Gospels and the Book of Acts. Request your ebook today when you make a gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at SomethingGoodRadio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. You can also call our offices at 757 276 1099.
0: As they drove spikes into his hands and feet, There in uh, chapter 23, Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What an amazing thing to say. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He says to the thief on the cross next to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. And then again in chapter 23, uh, according to Luke, moments before Jesus exhaled his last breath, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit.
1: That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Luke, Behold the Man. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and all of us here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.